We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Let's face it, art and entertainment are subjective. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Some people prefer the Mona Lisa. Some people prefer looking at dog poo on the sidewalk. What you prefer is your business, and I'll let you decide which the game on Sunday was. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hey, it's a win. It's a win. And I am reliably told that when we win, we can only be happy. So I am so happy. Can you hear it? I'm happy. I'm happy. I am happy. I'm happy we won. I'm happy we're third. I think Manchester City are going to feel us breathing down their neck. We are going to 10 shots for 15 shots allowed our way to the title this season. I can feel it happening. All kidding aside, um, an interesting game to discuss because positive outcome, maybe not positive process. And I think that's something that we're going to be chewing on over the two weeks of the international break. But you know what? It's better than chewing on a 3-0 loss to Brighton. It's better than chewing on a 1-0 loss at Newcastle. And we will be talking about that on the Schadenfreude podcast. Sorry, Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude podcast uh, tomorrow on the Patreon. So if you want to sign up for that, we would love to have you there. Scottish Dave will be on that uh, as well as I'm hoping Paul, but I haven't asked him yet. So we'll find out. But he's here so I can ask him. He's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woo-hoo. Will you be on the Schadenfreude pod? I think I probably will. Delightful. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. 
Hello, hello. We love our friends at The Athletic, and you can sign up there at theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision, get the 50% off and all that. But we are uh, very, very excited. Uh, probably the biggest company I've ever worked with, uh, the Black River Conglomerate Industries, uh, got in touch, and they want us to promote the Shmoo. We did all this stuff with the lawyers. It was quite extensive, but we are happy to have the Shmoo on as a sponsor. You'll be hearing about them down the line, but you can always go to theshmoo.com, and of course, it is the S-H-M-E-W, the S-H-M-E-W, theshmoo.com. Uh, just to be clear, that's not the Shmoo, S-C-H-M-O-O. Uh, they were pretty clear that I should delineate that. So the Shmoo, S-C-H-M-O-O, not them. It's the Shmoo, S-C-H-M-E-W.com. So just want to clarify that. We'll have an ad for that for uh, for you down the line, but very, very excited to be working with uh, Black River Conglomerate Industries. So there you go. In any event, let's get started. And Paul, I will start with you for a second. I, I want to just get your take on... The the way we should analyze the game, we'll talk lineup, we'll talk the events in the game, but I think one of the things that people are struggling with is the cognitive dissonance of recognizing that maybe we are not playing particularly well in the Premier League while looking at the table and it's giving us this signal that we are being rewarded for that. And I think back to Project 24 last season when... All the XG nerds, the stat nerds with their slide rules were telling us regression is coming and people were like, nah, it's a new coach, he'll get better, things will get better, and it didn't get better. And in fact, the way we finished the season was more indicative of what we were doing at that time. But having said that, we're back in the same position because, well, Bellerin's coming back and Tierney's coming back and Holding's coming back and Lacazette's coming back, so there's cause for optimism. So for you, how do you weigh the excitement of our league position and victory versus the sort of dour standard of the football in the league? Well, it's impossible to reconcile the two. Um, it, it just, a correlation, causation, I don't know, but they they seem to have diverged here. Um, I don't think anybody thinks our performances are great or good or good enough. Um, and I kind of feel like we're holding on until something improves here. Um, but weirdly... Uh, you know, if you get if you average two points per game across the season, you're probably going to be okay for top four. So we're just a, a point shy of that, I think. I think we're on uh, 15 at, uh, versus 16 to get there. Um, but it just it just doesn't feel sustainable. Doesn't feel good. Uh, I mean, this is a microcosm of our season so far. Um, you know, we're at home against Bournemouth. They don't really show up in the first half. Uh, on the other hand, in the first half, we're pressing hard. Uh, if you look at the stats and if you, you watch the game, you can see we're deliberately pressing in the first half. And it's another game in which we kind of tire in the second half or take our foot off the gas and the, the opposition wakes up a little bit. We've seen a few of those games. So there's some recurring patterns that we've seen across games. But there's no... There are some minor elements of style that are common, like when we play at home, we press quite quite ferociously on a relative basis. We're one of the most pressing teams in the league at home, and we don't bother pressing away from home. Um, but we haven't we haven't really hit on any other kind of secret sauce. We've thrown away the playing from the back. I don't think we're any. Uh, I guess what we've learned is I have a little sympathy for the manager for the playing out from the back. Apart from the fact that I like the idea, it's also a new rule that changed that moved uh, 
what you could do out from the back. And it was an experimental phase that we maybe weren't best geared up to take advantage of. Yeah. So you can see all the a number of elements that could have disrupted our style for a manager who plays quite differently away from home and at home and doesn't have a particularly um, religious uh, um, adherence, ad- <laughs> adherence mm-hmm. or attraction to having a specific kind of style. Yeah. And it's all kind of turned into a mishmash and we're all hoping our fingers that uh, flying wingbacks make all the difference when they yeah. kick in, but we're not very good. Yeah, I, I think, Paul, last season our route to goal was back three wingbacks overlapping um, and crosses and cutbacks. And this season... I think we're just trying to give it to the wide forwards and have them beat a man and create something. I think there's a lot of sort of hero ball being played with Saka and Pepe. I mean, Pepe was basically our ball progression in this game. Chambers did a bit of it. Kolasinac did almost none of it. Um, mm. You know, and it is tough, right? We, we did win, and I think the first half was reasonably okay. But if you look at Manchester United, for example, I mean, Manchester United created almost nothing on XG and had hardly any shots against Newcastle. And anyone who watched that game would say, wow, they are really timid and tame. The irony is, if not for the offside, off-the-post shot that Oba had at the end that mm. counts towards XG because it wasn't flagged for offside but would have been had it gone in, we had less XG and the same amount of shots as that Man U team at home to Bournemouth. So clearly there is a and disconnect the, and there. And then if you add in the XG for their opportunity where they ran to the keeper, which didn't get any yeah, XG because they didn't have a shot, yeah. mm-hmm. that, was like a, that was better than 50-50. At that stage, they pulled ahead of us on XG. But there's always the, the game stage of co- of course. Yeah, by the way, of the second half. But yeah. it's not pretty. My point was more the, the sort of toothlessness of our attack more than yeah. to suggest that we didn't deserve to win the game. But two Tim, shots on target, wasn't it? Two shots on target. Yeah, Tim, I, I think... You can't help but come back to the midfield as a locus of an issue. And it, it seems harsh to keep pointing to Granite Xhaka, but the reason you wind up pointing to him is because he's the, the sort of point of difference between the league lineups and the, and the cup performances, which have been so good. The one thing I'll say, though, is I'm not sure if it's the personnel, but the way we're doing it, that sort of flat three where the outside midfielders get really wide is creating a bizarre sort of pattern of play on and off the ball. Whereas in midweek, we had much more of a traditional double pivot with a 10 in front of that in Willock. This week, we sort of went back to that flatter three where Ganduzi and Ceballos were, were getting real wide at times, and Shaka was sort of mopping up the whole center of the pitch. So for you, is the emphasis on selection maybe misstated, and it's really more about what we're trying to do with that midfield in the league? Yeah, I definitely do. Um so I think at times like this, it's good. Um, it's good kind of critical discipline to flip the question on yourself sometimes. And I, think I usually yourself, just answer the question when I'm asking it, but <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> so I think like flipping the question in terms of because, well, some of us more than others are a bit anxious and thinking, oh, there's the, this is wrong and this is wrong. So sometimes you flip the question and say, what's going right? What are you happy with? What what do you have almost no questions about? And I'm looking at the moment and I think um, I'm fine with Leno. I don't really have any problem with him at the moment. And then <laughs> Abamyang. Who, Maybe. <laughs> who does it doesn't like get involved in the play anyway he's the one who finishes it and then the rest of it you go in the defense not really the fullbacks the midfield pepe it's you know there's there's a mass there's a massive space between leno and Abamyang, um and and none of it's quite working and and i, I think you're quite right and 
I feel bad doing this because I don't mean this like personally to Xhaka because um, I think he's being hung out to dry in many respects. But you're right to accommodate Xhaka or what we're doing is affecting so many other players. So, um, yeah, you're right. Like the, the central midfielders, they're so, so wide. And then like we get the ball to Pepe. And he's surrounded by four players and we're not supporting him. And it's because we've got a choice between two right backs at the moment. We've got Maitland-Niles, who has the athleticism to support him going forward, but doesn't have fully developed defensive instincts because he's not a defender. Excuse me. We've got Callum Chambers, who made a number of really, really good defensive interceptions in this game. Some game-saving ones, actually, under his own crossbar. And because he, he's a centre back, right? But he doesn't have the athleticism to get up and down and overlap. He he often arrives quite late, which sometimes works quite well when we switch the ball. And you know he he gets it. We've had that kind of move a few times where you switch it and he gets there on the volley because, you know, he's chugging up about <laughs> ten seconds later than everybody else to the attack. You know, which is not to criticise him. That's that's not that's not who he is. And I, and I think he's playing well. Um, with the kind of tools he has, but he's just, he's not really an attacking right back. He's a centre back, right? Um, and and so- yet, weirdly, Tim, in this game, he was our most attacking full back, which I think is. Well, Again, yeah. part of our dysfunction, and it's probably something to do with Saka. I think he had three Saka shots and... or something. I think he had the most shots yeah. of anyone in the team. <laughs> yeah, and well, actually, one of those was, yeah, the kind of mishit volley. One was mm. just because, honestly, he was knackered and didn't know what else to do, so he just walloped one over the bar. But, I mean, if you want to talk about a lack of athleticism, then, you know, Serd Kalasinac yeah, is... Yeah. Mm-hmm is the picture in the dictionary, um, to be quite honest. So, And, you know, I, I do have some sympathy for Emery there because what, what the hell else can he do in those positions, really? He doesn't, doesn't have an awful lot of choice there at the moment. But, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of the roads point to midfield. And, you know, you look at Ceballos against Liège and then you look at Ceballos in this game. I don't think that's down to, like, intensity or anything. I don't. Well, I don't know. Bournemouth did pick up the intensity a lot in the second half. But, you know, I didn't look at this game and think, oh, this is a frantically paced Premier League game. This is different. Um, to me, it was just because Ceballos was in slightly different positions and his game was, I thought, quite inconsistent. There was lots of good stuff and quite a lot of bad stuff as well. And he got frustrated and he was, I think, too far over to the left when we could have done with him a bit more central. And you know, he's miles away from Pepe as well on the other side of the pitch, who just hasn't got any support at all. And uh, it's it's the phrase I keep coming back to at the moment is just the blanket's not big enough because mm. whatever we try, you know, we either pull it up under our chins and leave our feet freezing cold or, you know, pull it down over our feet and leave our midriffs bare. It's, it's just em- Emery just can't seem to get that formula right. And I have some sympathy with him for that. But then there are some things like the continued we absolutely cannot play without Granite Xhaka I, that I just don't get. Um, yeah, yeah, so, it feels yeah. a bit obstinate, and I, I mean, it almost feels like he's trying to prove a point because the louder people shout for him not to be included, the the more it feels like he's in, entrenched. But you know, I, I again, I can't help but look at the way we are playing. I, I think some of Emery's comments are interesting. What's so weird is sometimes the things Emery says he wants from the team are things that you find yourself agreeing with, but just not seeing on the pitch. And it certainly doesn't look like the instruction, which makes you wonder if the message is getting through and maybe being ignored. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what, what the case is there, but Clive, I, I do think that 
we can look at this game by halves. And if we look in the first half, we certainly tried to press more. And I think what that did at a minimum is it kept uh, Bournemouth out of our half. We didn't come under the kind of pressure that we have in other games, which was good. But I think a lot of the creativity has been left, you know, much like I mentioned, it was down to the wing backs last season. I think a lot of it was left to the wide forwards and, and Pepe in particular had a lot of ball progression responsibility in the first half and kind of beat a man and see what you can do. So for you, putting the, the defending part of the game aside and even the second half and, and the timidity of the second half aside, it wasn't much of a spectacle. Where is the breakdown happening for you in the way we build play? Yeah, I think um, I always walk away with something in these games. And the thing I walked away with from this game was our lack of connectivity. So what drives connectivity? So it could be a number of things. It could be it could be spaces, could be distances. In the first half, we were much higher up in defence, and we were pressing a lot more. So our connectivity came from just being closer together and having the available pass was on. So we looked better. That first half, maybe the first half of the first half, reminded me in a less frenzied way of the Spurs second half and the Aston Villa second half. Common denominator: defence pushed up, pressure on the ball from the front, distance is small we get a semblance of some connectivity and transition. I sort of recognize that. I don't. I like it. I don't love it, but I recognize it, and, it, and it's a, the basis of a style. The issue is is that we can't seem to sustain it, and it was understandable. Martin Keogh did a great bit on the Bamiyang on, on Match of Day 2, and I thought it was quite astute where he sort of highlighted the Bamiyang was pressing in the first half, and we, t- we went off his trigger. In the second half, he didn't have the same energy. So what happens when you don't put pressure on the ball? Your defenders drop off. When the team becomes more stretched, what do you have? You have bigger distances. Then you go into what I call a premiership game where every premiership team can run. Most of them can run better than us. So suddenly we have, we go from a compressed small distance game, which we are quite good at, where we're pressing, to one where the pitches become bigger and we're now in a track meet. And everyone knows you get asked in a track meet, you got a chance to get us running backwards. And that's what happened in the second half. The center half's a taut, no pressure on the ball, drop. You must stop the ball over the top. The more we dropped, the more the defenders dropped. And I think there's a, and by the way, the more our center midfielders dropped as well. So we became very compressed, and then we get into what I call our lack of engagement issue. And this is where we start to concede shots and crosses. And I thought we defended our box really, really well. However, what's happening is maybe I think in the player's mind there's a there's a subconscious reaction to the fact that a couple of weeks ago we had conceded the most shots in the top five leagues in Europe. So there must be a reaction to that from within the club, within the coaching staff. And there seems to be a level of resilience growing in the team since then. But I think at a cost of confidence offensively, positioning when we go deep too quickly, we push back too quickly. Because I think we're trying to barricade and stop shots and really defend our box and really be a little bit more protective of our goal to try to change that scenario. Because if we keep conceding shots on the level that we were, it's not going to be a great April, May for us next year. Right? So I think we're seeing that reaction. So what's that? You know, so in some ways, it's cause and effect. We see the midfield being stretched, and then we focus on the on the one or two players that maybe can't handle that physically. Sobias is one when he's in a he's in a running match, and that Shaka is the other. So we are, our eyes immediately go to that Emery. What Emery then does is react to the game that's in front of him. 
And so he adds runners to a running scenario where I would like to see a lot more bravery, a lot more pressing, sustained pressing if possible, and a, and a higher line to squeeze the space and make it a more technical game which suits the players that we have. So what Emery does is he, he brings on runners, so he brings on Martinelli, he brings on Willock, and he keeps that on as long as possible. And he says, okay, I'm now going to run with you. I'm going to out-energy you. But it doesn't build the confidence. It doesn't allow us to take over the game. And that's when people start to question the style. And the style is questioned because we are now reacting to a small club like Bournemouth at home. And that's a valid criticism. Mm. So that's, that's where we are, Elliot, I think, at the moment. I think we can't sustain more than one half of good play and this has been a this has been a theme for maybe almost all of Emery's tenure it's been we throw away halves and we just can't sustain it and I think that's something that we need to think about going forward because there's a there's a basis of a style there but we can't keep it going yeah and I think look ultimately it's just as simple as wanting to find a way to create more chances and break down defenses. And we're struggling to do that right now. I think you can look at the first half as competent. I think Bournemouth were terrible, but you know, sometimes teams are terrible because you make them terrible. They, they were very committed to playing out from the back, much like we had been and, and they didn't do much better than it than we had been doing. So I think that plays a role, but you know, Paul, I, I think it, it is a situation where I think also this team maybe has an instinct to play on the counter, maybe has an instruction to play on the counter, and when we get Mm -hmm. a lead, that that is what we want to do. So we did take a lead, thanks to Pepe, um, you know, getting the the assist. He did get an assist. I think we should point that out because he's going to come into some for some criticism with his end product, but he gets the assist from the corner kick. Uh, David Luiz with a really nice header. Clive, you had one last point to make before we turn it over to Paul. Oh, sorry, mate. I just wanted to say on connectivity, we have lost a couple of good connectors. In the, in the Wobie and Mkhitaryan, ball carriers that really drive. And I think we, we've we missed those people that bring the ball to the front men. And I think Lacazette's another connector. I think I walk away thinking about this lack of connectivity. Yeah. And where is it going to come from going forward? I think Lacazette is obviously an option to join and glue this together. We're hoping that the fullbacks come along and squeeze in our wide, our centre mid into the centre of the pitch. But I'm, I'm really... I well, have a slight concern about where else the connectivity and, and progression of last third is going to come from to to set our way, our superstar. Yeah, I would agree. Look, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. If you have access to the Stat Zone app, you can look at final third passes, and there's just a big blank space at the top of the 18 center of the pitch. There's no one passing through that area, into that area, through balls from that area. We we are doing nothing in that area. That's an area Lacazette can why, why, occupy. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, because Aubameyang wants to go in behind, certainly. That's part of it. I think the other part of it is that we don't necessarily have a midfielder who is stepping into that role. So Bios maybe was tasked with doing it and didn't. I know that we did more Sabayos of Sabayas always swings left. I mean, he, he just He does, does. and Ganduzi was pushed out to the right. So, so yep. Paul, I mean, we get the goal, and it, that's wonderful. Do you think that the the instruction is to play more on the counter with a lead? I mean, do you think that that explains what we're doing, to just shore things up defensively and try to, try to play more reactive football? Yes-ish. I think we're quite like Leicester at times, not just away from home. Uh, we actually match Leicester in terms of our pressing numbers uh, when we play at home, which is quite interesting. There there are certain things going on there that are quite Leicester-ish. 
Um, and we've obviously seen, ga- seen games in which we pretty much set up to play a bit like Leicester. But even at home, there's an aspect of that where, when you, as you said, the, there's a divergence between what Emery says he's trying to do and what we see on the pitch. And I think part of it is a little bit under of a misunderstanding. He talks about possession, but he more talks about control. And although sometimes that sounds like the same thing when he's talking, I don't think for him it's exactly the same thing. Control is uh, the sense that... that uh, we're not under threat. It's not necessarily that we have the ball. And control for him um, certainly involves... He, he talks about transitions. He talks about that style of a game. And I think the more you try and read between the lines, you, the more you see what's going on on the pitch, which is we have two different kinds of style of play. And it almost feels like two-thirds of the time we're more about control in terms of being out of possession and keeping our shape, uh, being more passive in in second halves of games where it's getting away from us. So he, he doesn't like that middle ground of where we're pressing. If we take the Bournemouth example, we're pressing heavily in the first half. We don't kind of press in the second half. We don't press at all. So he doesn't like that middle ground. He'll drop back. We'll be much more passive, much more responsive. And there's not much in the middle, which maybe that makes sense if you're trying to keep your shape. But that's why we get this variation between home and away, but also within games, as Clive talked about, where the energy energy levels drop off in that second half. But I think he looks at Obama Yang and Pepe and maybe even Saka to some degree Um and he sets up in a way where connectivity in the middle of the field isn't what he's about. He's trying to move it from the back to the front. We we still put put a high number of final third passes together somehow, like up with le- the league leaders like your Liverpools and cities. We have a lot of passes in the final third, and we have a lot of passes in our defensive third. Uh, and given that we don't have huge pass numbers compared to other teams, it's the middle where uh, we're not, the connectivity goes away. So we are transitioning between not just in our away games, but in our home games. There's a big emphasis on transition. And then coming back the other way, we see, we see cost, our, our, uh, our competitor doing the to some degree doing the same thing to us transitioning quickly through the midfield and into our attack so the midfield we're used in in the Wenger years to having the midfield being this battlefield where we take on our strength of midfield takes on the other guys and that seems to be the area we've hollowed out a bit yeah, and I think, look, one thing that we don't have is long periods of possession, long passing sequences. And I think sometimes if you want to find holes in a defense as they get pushed back, you hold the ball. And look, nobody likes that crab passing, that you around the box that doesn't go anywhere. But sometimes by moving the ball back and forth in the in the attacking third, you create a lane for a runner like Aubameyang to run into, and then someone's got to play that ball. We tend to overload both wings. You know, now I agree with Clive that a big issue is distances. I could give you 10 screenshots from this game where Pepe had the ball on the right wing or Chambers had the ball on the right wing and there's nobody to play to. Ironically, the goal comes from a corner after Chambers has the ball on the right wing. There's three Arsenal players in the box against six defenders and nobody even in the camera shot. So, you know, I think that is a big issue. Paul, one more point on that? Yeah, so I think a particular uh, flaw with this game where you know, we've had strength on both wings getting to the byline or creating 
on one side or the other having overlaps. And now in the Bournemouth, in, in this phase of our season right now, and I think it's a short-term problem, we've got Chambers as our more attacking uh, fullback, which is kind of weird. Um, but him and Obami, or him and Pepe are kind of struggling to find a relationship there because Chambers isn't really a charge past his winger kind of guy. He's doing his best. And yet the c- connector for that it should really be Sabayas, but he's on the other wing. And then on the other wing, you got Kolasinac sitting back because he's being a little bit more defensively secure. And you got Saka, who's not an inverted winger. He, he wants to go outside. And so I think in this particular game in particular, um, our preferred way of attacking was just a, a little dysfunctional. And it's just because of the profiles of the players. And you would imagine with overlapping uh, fullbacks and with inverted wingers, if we'd set up with Nelson there, uh, if we had Bellerin bombing forward on the right-hand side, or even Maitland-Niles from an attacking standpoint, it would have looked a lot better and a lot more balanced. Mm. Yeah, all right. Well, that's fair. Look, uh, Tim, I think we should get to some of the individual performances here because let, let's face it, right? We do a podcast where we break down every single match. And so you want to make it sound like there's interesting stuff to discuss. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. not sure there's that much interesting about this game. Like, you could just say, that's our podcast. We won it 1-0. Wasn't pretty. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you could do that. I don't think that would be fair to anybody listening and hoping to hear something interesting. So so let's try to get to some interesting analysis of individual performances if possible. And I think since we should do something positive, given that this was a win, let's talk about Callum Chambers. Here's a player whose yeah. Arsenal career looked like it was hanging by a thread, went and played for a relegated team and was their player of the season, came back, didn't seem to have a path to playing time. No one's convinced he's a center back. Maitland-Niles looked like he had a lock on the fullback position until Bellerin was back at least. And football changes things. And Chambers came in, got a chance to impress, got a chance to take over from Maitland-Niles who was struggling. And he's arguably the man of the match in this game. Now, no one thinks he's a fullback. We've all already said that in you know the 27 minutes we've been talking. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think anybody thinks he should necessarily keep his place when Bellerin is back. But he deserves credit for this performance. I'm curious to get your take on sort of the resurrection of Callum Chambers and, and what role he could play in the future, if any. Yeah, I, so the, the surprise for me is that it's a resurrection because um, I've I've always liked Chambers, and that doesn't mean that I think he's the next Tony Adams or Bakri Sanya or you know anything like that. But I've I've always liked him. I've always seen him as a good guy to have in the squad. Um, you know, not not least because of his versatility. But I I really can't think of too many times where I feel like he's really let us down. You know, I there, there are certain games sometimes that just really stick for for one reason or another, really stick in the collective imagination, and they can crucify you or they can make you. Sometimes players are quite average, but they have one or two big standout performances, and that's what everyone remembers. Um, I kind of think that about Abu Dhabi, um, mm, and some of that's Liverpool. context. Mm-hmm. For example, yeah, some of that's context because you know he he was very unfortunate with his career, but. There were a lot of average and really poor performances, but there were some amazing ones as well. And uh, I thought this about Arshavin. I thought Arshavin was completely underwhelming for the majority of his time at Arsenal, but there are one or two moments that just stick in people's heads. And then sometimes you get it the other way around, you know? So Jovino, I think Jovino and Arshavin 
pretty similar Arsenal careers, but Arshavin is characterised by scoring that goal against Barcelona. Jovino is characterised by that miss against Bradford. And actually, I don't think there's a lot of difference between what they actually produced in their Arsenal careers. Well, four goals against Liverpool too. Let's not not forget that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, But at least two of the four we conceded that night were completely his fault as well. Um, Poor Kieran Gibbs that night (laughs) was just like... You know that you know that old saying like not waving drowning, mm. um, and 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 for Callum Chambers it's the Montero thing against Swansea just just stuck in everyone's minds maybe because it was uh, on a Sunday and it was on TV it's the only game on TV that day blah blah blah, and and that seemed to really really count against him and don't get me wrong I think I, I think we found out that day and subsequently that he's not really a fallback, but that doesn't mean that he can't ever 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 play there again. Um, and and I, I was always surprised at which like the speed with which we kind of came to that judgment, mm. um, and 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 the thing and yeah. So with Chambers, I've always felt that he's been pretty solid, um, and I've always felt that he's someone you know not just who can be a squad player but who can push. And I think what will be really interesting for him is whether he could whether he can nudge out one of Socrates or Louise because. You know, I've I've written about this. I don't think they're both blameless by. Uh, sorry, I don't think they're both completely to blame by any stick. And actually, Socrates and Louise have improved. I think in the last kind of, I think the last couple of games we can say we've defended better. But you know, they're they're not like absolutely solid gold um, at the moment. And, Socrates had and, a low 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 key bad game, by the way. If you watch, yeah, bad, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he he got caught a couple of times, um, you know, not looking that convincing, and and that that for me is the challenge. Because look, Callum Chambers is not going to be Arsenal's first choice right back. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, he he could get some game time there. Bellerin's game time is going to have to be managed. Still, plenty of Europa League games. There's another round of the League Cup and things like that. You know, there'll be a busy Christmas schedule, so there'll be minutes probably there for him. Um, but the the interesting thing for me is, you know, let's say we start Bellerin against Sheffield United. I think that Emery will think um, about maybe playing Chambers in that in that um, right-handed, that, that right-sided centre-back spot, not least because if Emery has some concerns over Bellerin physically, having a guy on the right centre-back who has had a few games at right-back, that, that's probably pretty good cover for Bellerin. That's probably pretty good... Um, you know, you, you could argue, you could spin that that's a decent idea if you're worried about um, Bellerin's energy levels um, at, at this stage of his recovery. Just having a guy there who's played his position the last few weeks and kind of have a, has a sense of what that job is. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I, I still don't think he's quite got the athleticism um, to play the position in in the way that a club like Arsenal would really want it. But he's knocking on the door. He's really knocking on the door along with. You know, I was talking before the game about how wonderful is it that we've got like this big dilemma on the left wing between Martinelli and Saka, these two 18 year olds. Um, I mean, he was injured, unfortunately, but Reese Nelson as well. He had a good game in the week. And you're thinking, you know, these kids are pushing. They're not just making up the numbers. They're pushing. And and so's Chambers and uh, all credit to him. Yeah. And I think, by the way, you, you touch on an interesting point, too, which is, you know, I was I was disappointed that we let Iwobi and Mkhitaryan go, although I saw the value in doing it. But had we not, Martinelli wouldn't be playing in the Premier League, and Saka wouldn't be playing in the Premier League, and Nelson wouldn't be playing in the Premier League. And 
maybe we'd be incrementally a tiny bit better if it was Mkhitaryan and Awobi instead of Saka and Martinelli. I don't even know if that's the case. But it'd be so much worse for the club, in my opinion, for them not mm-hmm. to get that chance to shine. So, you know, these are growing pains that you go through. I, I think the interesting thing with Chambers, unlike Kolasinac, who's just been dire and will lose his place to Tierney, and that'll be the end of it. And to be fair to him, he's probably not a fullback either. He's a wingback. But with Chambers, does playing well at fullback earn you a right to become a center-back starter when Bellerin's back? And I think it'll be interesting to see that. Um, you have a thought on that? Um, well, I because I'd add... The games, well, he certainly played very well at Newcastle on the first game of the season um, at centre half. Um, but but you're right, you're right, playing well at right back. The thing is, though, I look at what he's done at right back, and I know this sounds weird because he's had a few assists um, recently. But I mean, it, for me, in this game, it was his defensive contribution mm, um, yeah. that that actually really stood out. Those those were the big moments for him, um, and and I think that that might. Well, I, I think it will be in Emery's head anyway, but that if there's something that tips it in his favor, it might be that. Yeah, and that's fair. And I, by the way, a guy who deserves credit for that too is Ganduzi because last season we were all critical of him off the ball and this season he's been magnificent. And I, I mentioned that Socrates had a bad game. He completely lost his man in the box at one point and Ganduzi was alive to it, cut across him and cleared it. Otherwise, it's it's an easy slot home. So kudos to him. We have not heard nearly enough from Clive on this podcast, and unfortunately, we have to make our sponsor happy and go to that. So we're going to take a break and then come back with Clive with a couple of questions. Um, so again, new sponsor, uh, really sort of nervous about this, working with a big company, but I, I, I'm excited about it. So we're going to tell you about the Schmoo. Again, it's the Schmoo.com, the S-H-M-E-W, the S-H-M-E-W.com. We'll take a break. We'll tell you about the Schmoo. Do you Schmoo? Let's find out. We'll come back after this. Okay, it's time to tell you about the Shmoo, the craze that's been sweeping both sides of the Atlantic. They're asking, we Shmoo, do you? It's time to find out if the Shmoo is right for you. You can go to the Shmoo right now. That's theshmoo.com. Now, we need to clarify, due to pending litigation, that that is the Shmoo, S-H-M-E-W.com, not the Shmoo, S-C-H-M-O-O.com. That's obvious. But again, due to pending litigation, we need to clarify that. So right now, the folks at the Shmoo want to get you signed up. And if they do, they are running a great campaign for October. Everybody who signs up in the month of October is eligible to get a free bottle of Dracar Noir sent to you postage paid. That's a free bottle of Dracar Noir sent to you postage paid. So it's time to go to the schmoo.com, sign up and find out if you schmoo. Now, of course, the Shmoo is part of the Black River Conglomerate Industries, so they cannot send the Dakar Noir to Croatia for reasons that should be obvious. But other than that, you are eligible. So go there now, theshmoo.com. That's S-C-H-M-O-O.com. Theshmoo, S-C-H-M-O-O.com. Do it now. All right, we're back, and I uh, hope you enjoyed that. And a lot of information there, certainly, to process, and hopefully you'll be checking them out at theshmoo.com. Uh, that, again, is the S-C-H-M-O-O.com, the S-C-H-M-O-O.com. So, uh, Clive is back. Clive, uh, sorry we haven't talked to you much today, but I'm glad that you are here right. nonetheless because I can feel your presence and your intellect oozing through the microphone, which is good enough. Let's the talk. The on form. Pe- They're really well, on form. I don't know about that, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like Arsenal. We're winning, maybe, but it's not pretty. Um Let's talk Pepe for a second. I, you know, it's funny, right? We sent out a guy in Awobi who my principal complaint with him was good shuttler, good in possession, good ball progressor, no end product. The irony is Pepe was supposed to be the opposite, dynamic, hard-driving end product machine. And the funny thing is he's actually been great at progressing the ball and getting it into the final third and has had no end product. Do you think that he is doing okay and maybe we're not seeing the things that he's providing enough or that he's struggling. Where, where do you fall on this performance from Pepe and, and what we've seen from him so far? 
there's always a context around this, but we all we're all desperate for him to be the player we want him to be. And we've we've cleaned the house for him, and he's going to be our sort of next superstar. And that's what and that's where we're judging him on. When I look at this game, I thought he started the game really brightly. I really thought he didn't. He got it. He pressed. He when he popped it off, he he changed lines really quickly, looking for combinations. And I thought for about 10, 15 minutes, I thought, there you go. He's, he's, had, he's had a bit of a wake-up. He's realised that, that the light is shining on him. Let's see how long this goes. He has the curling shot, and then we score. And we're, and he's doing fine. But then it sort of fades. And I watched him. There was one clip in the second half, and I think Yang was breaking. And, and Pepe's on. He's almost like he runs on a train track. It might have actually been. I know where Tim sits. It might have been right in front of him, actually running towards the North Bank. Rather than come inside... He just runs in a straight line and doesn't look to connect. And I thought, we need to free him. I think he's he's playing in a hole on that right-hand side. And he's very reticent to come off of it. I'd like to see him be freer. The fact he doesn't feel he can be free tells me there's a little bit of a lack of what he's allowed to do within this team. In his previous team, he could go anywhere he liked. He knew he was he knew his role and if he decided to go into the middle, he went into the middle and that was it. At the moment I don't see that freedom that he needs to try to read the game to be available, to protect it, to move it. I just see him playing in a slot, playing on a train track. And I feel that's quite restrictive. And teams you know they watch the YouTubes like we have done. They know when he receives it in that right hand slot, they generally know what he's gonna do. So they try to keep him on his right foot. And then when he does go inside, all he's got is a square pass, mm. if at all, right? So he's not he's limited. They're not going to let him shoot. So we're going to show you down one side. If you do get a shot, you've got to curl it around 14 people. He's got to, it's got to go into the postage stamp. Very difficult. So the only way we can free we need to free him, we also need to get some wall passes going with him. And I think the combination of a right back that's on his wavelength and a centre forward that doesn't mind a wall pass, I think that will free him creatively. I think on the ball, he has wonderful skill sets. We all know that. I'll, I'll be brutally honest with you. I think he needs to get into the gym a little bit. I think he's light. I think he's quick. He's not super quick. He's not devastatingly quick. This is the Premier League. Everyone's quick. He's quick. He's sharp. He's got sharp, fast feet. But he is not a Bamiyan quick. He's just quick. And I think we mustn't overestimate this. He needs to work. He needs to work on his body. It's a different league. He needs to develop some lower body power. He needs to really start to use his physicality. That's what's going to work for him. There are players like Saka, for example. I think Saka's stronger than him. He's got better power, more density. He uses his body. He rolls people. I have density as well. (laughs) He protects the ball. And I think Pepe's got some adaptation to do. But in every game, I remember him doing something which absolutely is beautiful technically. But in every game, I walk away thinking, oh man, when are you going to finally produce? You know, when's that curler going to go into the top corner? When's that cross going to land on someone's head, although he got an assist in this game? So I feel he's getting closer, but I think there's work to do. We may not see the best of him until maybe even next calendar year. Mm. I mean, that's how long I think it could take. Well, but in the meantime, he can do things. I mean, I, I was looking at the stats review in Discord uh, that, that giant Gunnar posts for patrons. is really sensational. And 
he was one of our strongest pressing agents in this game. So, I mean, you know, he's mm-hmm. he's involved. He's engaged. Um, you know, he he progressed the ball up the right wing. He just, it's not there. And I think everything you said is accurate, Clyde. But I, my question then to you is, what do you make of what's happening on the other side? Because there's really nothing over there. Um, Kolasinac, I think, has just been told to give up the ghost and just sit back a little more because he's he's not... It's not happening for him. I mean, one of his rare forays forward was a really bad giveaway, a square pass in our final third that led to a counterattack. He got beat to the end line with a shot that uh, Leno tipped over. Not a good game for him, and that's got to be impacting Saka. How do you feel Saka is doing, basically operating the left wing all on his own? Yeah, he's doing fine. He's just, he's he's working two ways. He's trying to drive. He's trying to get onto the end of things. He's trying to come. He he takes up very smart positions, actually. He comes centrally and Abamian goes left. That's very mature of somebody his age mm. to do that, just to find himself in center forward positions. I've gotten zero worries about him. Playing five or six games, take him out, rest him, play him, rest him. He has got great football intelligence and he is used to the intensity of the of the British game and he's got the he's got the muscles where he needs muscles to survive players like Ashley Young at Old Trafford quite easily. He's gonna have a very big future again. I'm not worried about him. Um, I am worried about the connectivity to him. I'm worried about how we bring the ball up to him. I think Sabias is very difficult to play with. I think um, he is so free-spirited. I don't think we can get much structure from him. Mm. I think Kalashnik is also... He's he's a difficult person to play with. I don't think he's um, that easy to read. He he bombs, and then he takes 15 minutes to get back, and so Shaka goes into being an auxiliary fullback. And then he, he he blows for five minutes while he has a rest and, and say, 30 yards away from the winger he should be combining with. It's just where we are at the moment. There, there's There's a... There's a lot. <laughs> I know we all know this, but there's a lot wrong with this group at the moment. Mm. And I think it, I think it's incredibly encouraging that if all these things are not working to their optimum, we're still managing to sneak some wins and, and accumulate some points. Yes. And I think and I think um, we are. You know, what's really impressed me has been the last two or three games defensively. I think there's been a collective responsibility to defend our goal. And, you know, while we're all focused on the detail of individuals, you know what I'm focused on, mate? I'm focused on how mentally and how defensively we imploded the last two months of last season. We need to fix that because that is something, despite all these players coming back, there's a defensive mental fragility that really came to roost, which cost us 50 to 100 million pounds by not being in the Champions League because we derailed defensively. We were brittle defensively. When the moment presented itself, we couldn't grab it. This is a classic game, Bournemouth, when the other teams lose and we then go and draw. Finally, we win and take advantage of a situation presented to us. And I think that's a minor step forward and something we need to hold on for. Hold on to, sorry, when it comes to the crucial months of uh, April, May next year. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely fair. I I just wonder, I know the statistics don't necessarily bear out that there's been a huge defensive improvement. And so we have to sort of interrogate at some level what it means to have been defensively sound against that Manchester United that didn't score at Newcastle and hardly created anything and, and this Bournemouth who, to be fair, can create some stuff, but did not in this game. And whenever that happens, you're always sort of torn between we were good or they were crap. By the way, one stat, and I don't, it's a new statistic that OptiPro or keeping it, the OptiPro account tweeted it out. It's called uh, positive possession value. And they rank each 
possession value and whether you have a positive contribution or not. And um, Nicholas Pepe has contributed the most positive possession value contributions per 90 to Arsenal this season. Some of this stuff starts to sound almost a little too dense to, to really parse it. But the, the fact that there are some statistics pointing to him positively contributing to what we're doing, I think is at least a good sign because, you know, you don't want to say it's just totally not happening for him. And I don't think it would be fair to say it's totally not happening for him. I think, you know, uh, we, we've t- we've covered the midfield. I think Genduzzi has, has really stepped up and, and taken a leadership role. But, Paul, I, I think there is a question for Ceballos as to what the role is that he's supposed to play. I loved him in a double pivot, in a more traditional 4-2-3-1 in midweek, and not so much in this sort of weird, wider 10, I don't even, you know, flat three role that he played um, in the league. So you look at the pass maps, and you look at the pass networks, and you look at the positioning on the pitch, and the one thing you keep coming back to is there is a huge gaping space in the middle of the pitch in advanced midfield. There's nobody operating there. Um is it personnel or is it system? I mean, I don't think Ceballos fits that. It is, look, let's face it. I, my tongue is stinging to mention Mesut Ozil, but it's pointless, as we said on the last podcast, because he's not coming back. It's just not going to happen. Is it Lacazette that's going to fill that role? How do we how do we fix that space? And is that gap the gap that's going to unlock this attack at some level? Uh, well, certainly Lacazette. Well, if I look at our personnel, Lacazette is really the only guy who plays in and is comfortable in that area, even though he has a full-time job slightly further up the pitch. I mean, there's no one to give the ball to there. Just nobody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but if you think of... uh, We get our fullbacks in and they're bombing forward and our two inverted wingers uh, pull towards the center and you got Lacazette in the middle kind of false nining from time to time and then moving up. And, uh, you know, maybe Obama Yang is one of those guys coming in from the left, most likely uh, at that point. Then you're going to have more players push towards the middle into that zone. It's not a, a zone that Emery has looked to fill while he's been at Arsenal for the most part, apart from occasionally with Ramsey and occasionally with Ozil, um, with an actual player. He's, his most... Uh, searing formation in my mind from last year is the Iwobi, Mikatarian kind of dual tens in the half spaces. Um, he's just not obsessed by having a 10 in the middle. Um, that's complemented by the fact that Sabayas, from whatever I've seen of his previous incarnations at uh, his two previous clubs, he swings left. Uh, you can put him as a ce- central midfielder. Uh, and I felt he was kind of in the 10, 10 spot in this game. I think we actually had pretty much two pivots. But Sabias's patterns from from midfield into attack always have him swing over into that left pocket in the half space. That's where he likes to sit. So you're not quite sure what your formation is. He's not going to stay central. Uh, uh, Ganduzi's touches are almost entirely on the right-hand side and his passes are either back or up to the Pepe Chambers pocket. So we don't have anybody playing into the middle and nobody connected with Aubameyang in this, which is probably why he was also swinging off to the wings and swapping with Saka just so he could see a bit of the ball. Mm. Um, And I guess I think Emery has... uh, I'm tempted to think Emery has embarked on this season with a plan um, that's all based around these fullbacks showing up. 
and maybe I'm I'm tempted on that because you know that's what we haven't seen so you believe what you haven't seen because we don't like what we've seen so far um and when we have those fullbacks coming on stream then the fact that we will attack down the wings and create our our chances down the wings i mean even in the liege game all our attacks were down the left um even with martinelli in the center it was all it was the saka tierney show uh down the left where the creativity came I think his cre- his idea of creativity is not central. It, it's down the wings, and we don't have the players yet. We, we we maybe thought we could get there in the short term. I I could I have sympathy for Emery coming into the season saying, "Well, we play out fr- from the back. We'll play it up the sides through Maitland Niles and Kalasinac till I get Bellerin and Tierney." But he's uh, you know Maitland Niles has has kind of gone backwards. Chambers. Uh, I agree, has been doing great, but he's still not that marauding right fullback. And Kolasinac has been tasked with being a little bit more defensive. And when Saka's ahead of him, that's that's not the best combination on that side. So he mm. may just be paddling for time, waiting to get past the interlull, I pray, <laughs> and get at least one of his two fullbacks firing so that we can do more interesting things from the sides. I have to admit, I, I am always torn between wanting to see the best of what something can be and feeling that it is not acceptable in football to always be pointing to a perfect situation in the future where everything will work. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that searingly or pointing. I can only apologize. No, 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 no. I, I, well, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying it's, it's all you got. I get it, right? Like, look, I am guilty of it. I look at how Cola plays, and I can't help but think Tierney's going to make all the difference. Lacazette's going to make all the difference. But I've seen this team with Lacazette not play well. I, You know, I've seen this team with Bellerin play meh. I, you know, I, we haven't seen really a proper left back, so I guess that's an encouraging thing. I don't want to pretend like there aren't reasons to think we could get better. I just also kind of wonder, I mean, Solskjaer is playing with a team that literally the quality of that squad is bottom is bottom quarter of the table. That's how bad it is right now. Um, he's not getting a lot of cover for that, right? Does he deserve it? Maybe he does. Does Emery? I don't know. I, I think holding out for ideal situations for a team to play well is, I, I'm torn because it is fair to say he needs those players back to play better. Uh, absolutely it's fair. I think it's also fair to say a manager shouldn't need the perfect storm to to produce something that looks a little better. Because the funny thing is he produces great football in midweek with a team that is far below the best team he could put out. Now, the irony, of course, is he had his first choice fullbacks this midweek. So put that to one side. Um, Tim, I think, you know, first of all, you were at the stadium. So let me just ask you this. That second half was soporific. I, I mean... You don't have to thrill me every time out. I get it. Would it be nice? Sure, it's entertainment. It should be fun. But like, how how is the Emirates crowd reacting to the football they're being served in a winning in a winning game like that? Was there frustration? Was it just apathy? How, how what take the temperature of the Emirates in terms of how the reaction was to that football? I think there was a lot of apathy, and there were there were a lot of empty seats again. Um, the part of that I do think is the horrific thursday sunday grind it it's difficult yeah it's difficult to explain but particularly when um most of the season ticket holders don't live in london now try you know i i live in london and it was still a massive pain in the ass to get to the stadium um on rail replacement buses and everything but you endure those things if the football's good um and there, there, there was still a lot of empty seats. Um, again, 
And during the second half, it it was honestly, it was, um, I'm not sure I'd quite put it as apathy. I'd definitely put it as boredom. And you know what? Like, like honestly, absolutely honestly, this is going to sound like a joke, but when they put up five minutes stoppage time, usually my gut reaction, five minutes of stoppage time at 1-0 would be, oh God, I hope we hang on. But uh, like, absolutely honestly, my instinct was, oh God, not another five minutes of this. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. I it was is. just like... I've I because uh, I you know I was thinking I mentally checked out of this game probably about twenty minutes ago and I really just I want it to end so I can go to the pub and do something else and and I think there was a lot of that there was just a point in the second half where I was thinking uh, it was you know it's so silent that the silence hits you when you can hear like the generators buzzing in the stadium and stuff like that you can hear the electricity and you start to notice stuff like i think i noticed that the floodlights weren't on in the last like 10 minutes and i was a bit like hmm it's it's a little bit overcast today um you know winter's coming <laughs> and you know all this stuff that you wouldn't notice if the game if you were was like watching the football yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so there was a lot of that um but what you were just saying about like um you know i guess sticking stuff on a tab for a better future and all of that it just really struck a chord with me because i literally this morning i went to um this this session on mindfulness and like handling stress and all of that and this guy oh, said welcome tim <laughs> and uh the, the guy that was running it said one of like the leading causes of stress is like it will be better when syndrome you know so it's like i'm really stressed at the moment but when i get promoted everything will be fine when i get a pay rise everything will be fine when i've saved up for a deposit and i buy that house everything will be fine and you stick everything on a tab and actually what it does is it kind of builds up your stresses and your resentments because quite often when you get there you you you, you don't get the payoff. Built up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've built up all the stress and resentment and and you don't like you don't you you can't see the wood for the trees, you know. You've already got yourself into that mindset and I I feel like maybe we're setting ourselves up for a fall as well. Um I wrote something today about like how you know, Bellerin and Tierney coming into the team could improve things. I don't think for one minute it will transform us. Um, and we'll become a completely different team. I think there'll be some, you know, some marginal gains there, um, which you'd expect, you know, like we haven't had our first choice fullbacks. Now we've got them again. Of course, that's going to make things better. But I, I really, really feel like we're building up on that idea and obsessing mm. on it. And, and and I just feel like we're going to be disappointed. <laughs> it's going to be like another, it's going to be another down payment on the resentment tab and when it perhaps doesn't all work out like we think it's going to stress us again because we're already getting stressed at pepe and you know there's people doing mock-ups of him with Javinho's hair and stuff yeah, like this I mean, it's, it's on twitter and well, yeah, let me ask you yeah, something. yeah is it is it fair as an arsenal fan with a pretty handsomely paid expensively assembled squad even with a few young players in i mean it's not like this is an all-kid lineup um is it fair when Bournemouth show up at our stadium to expect that we put them to the sword a bit? That we, you know, yeah. that especially when we get a goal in the first 10 minutes, that we go on and make it a fun day out? I mean, is it, is it fair to have that expectation or yeah. is that just sort of a spoiled attitude? No, no, I think it's totally fair to have that expectation. Look at, you know, look at the 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 kind of the inequalities um, in the Premier League. You know, we're we're a cheap. You know, obviously we're always looking up at like Man City and and teams like that. Um, 
Although, albeit, I think Liverpool's recent success kind of perhaps puts that into a little bit of perspective. Mm. But, you know, we are vastly better off than the vast majority of teams, you know. So, yeah, and and like you say, not every single game. And I've, I've also had some um, conversations around this game that I've, I've found frustrating because, like, people have said to me, oh, you know, but um, we're, we're being boring but effective. And I'm thinking... If, if that was the pattern of every... Because like, this was a bit like the Newcastle game, right? The first game of the season uh, where we were pretty underwhelming, but we got it done 1-0. But on that day, you're like, well, we got injuries and we got players who've been away at international tournaments and this was all just about the result. But, uh, but I was thinking, but if, if every game was like this Bournemouth game, at least I'd think, well, this is what we're trying to do deliberately. We're trying to grind out one nils and I'd be fine with that. But that is not how every game has gone. Mm. And in fact, quite a lot of the games haven't been boring because we've been a chaotic mess. The games have gone like one of two ways. We've been a complete chaotic mess and they've been, you know, we've either gone... Mm. Yeah, we've either gone 2-0 up and blown it or 2-0 down and got it back or whatever. Or they've just been a bit soporific because we're the ones that have taken the lead and then just not built on it. And so it's, it's difficult, you know, you, I like if we were trying to be boring, but, but getting results, that would be completely different. I would honestly be fine with that. I really would, but I never got the sense that that was what we were trying to do. And Bournemouth picked up the pace at the beginning of the second half, as you'd expect, I imagine they got a mouthful from Eddie Howe at halftime and rightly so, because they were awful. So they were always going to do that. And, but then like we just stopped the pressing and we stopped the, the, you know, the, and we didn't have loads of intensity in the first half, but we had a good amount. And then we just stopped all that and kind of fell back in on ourselves. And I, I really don't understand what that is. And, and like you said earlier, Emery seems to intimate that's not what he told them to do. Yet it's what they keep doing. So either he's... Well, I don't want to say lying. That's too like that's too emotionally loaded a word. Either he's being, um, shall we say, uh, liberal with the truth. Or he's telling them to do stuff and they're not and they're doing, not doing it. it. And, yeah. and neither one of those things is good. No, you know what I would say, Tim? I would say, to your point, if we were executing a boring plan brilliantly, then it's an aesthetic debate because I may yeah. not love that, but that is certainly a way to win football games and Jose Mourinho did it. And I'm not saying that's who I want managing the club, but it works. I don't think we are executing a boring plan effectively. I think we are simply not executing a plan. Um, and, and that may sound harsh, but like I don't think that second half was a half of football we controlled in a dull way. I think it was just a half of football that just happened uh clive so so let's first of all i want to get your take on this i mean let's let's get a little bit um theoretical here you know let's look at the the way we you always talk about you know it's just football and the way we approach football and you tweeted something out you know sort of like hey you take the points you get on the bus you go home i love that we won i would much rather we win than lose the question is about sustainability i had an interesting chat with someone on discord and i said my first preference like if i had to order rank them in order my first preference is win playing beautiful attacking football my second preference is win playing good, solid, defensive football. My third preference is win playing the worst football imaginable. And my fourth preference is any other result. But then I thought about it, Clive, and I said, you know what? Maybe above win playing terrible football would be drop points playing brilliant football. Because if you go play brilliant football every week, 
you're going to eventually pick up a lot of points and be a good team. Teams that play great football eventually start picking up points. So for you, what is the balance between wanting to say, hey, we're third, we have plenty of points, we're doing fine, don't worry about it, versus this isn't sustainable if we keep playing this way? I don't think if when we get everybody back, I don't. I think the excuses run out. And I think people are being polite right now when they go out in the manager. <laughs> Some people are not polite. <laughs> not everybody. They were, <laughs> they were, I think they were being polite last season, if I'm honest with you. This has been in, this has been in the, this has been in the background. And the moment he dropped the ball at Watford and obviously the end of last season, enough's enough for many people. And they, they stopped being polite. And they're now looking for reasons to to put the hammer down. Right. So so when we, we didn't play well, there's no point in dressing up. We all know we lack cohesion. We lack connectivity um, are I started to think myself so what's happening here so what is happening what are we looking at and I thought to myself okay who's the flagship of the club at the moment it's probably a Bamiyang we'd all agree yeah he's a he had 17 touches in this game which means even though he's our most influential player from a goal scoring perspective he's not influential on build up or playing style then I started to look around the rest of the team we have some wallflowers in this team. We have Gwenduzi just forcing himself stylistically on the group. We don't have any strong style players that dictate the style we want to play. So what people then do is they focus on the manager and say, "Why isn't? what's his plan? What's his style? When I look back in history and I look at the players we used to have, they were so influential, they influenced the style that we played. We haven't got those players any longer. We have players who are... I don't, I don't want to say I don't want to use the word water case. That's not that's not the right phrase. But mm. we have players who are good next to other influencers. The most influential player this season from a stylistic point of view is probably Gwen Doozy. I think Lacazette is a player that influences how we play because he's central, he's like a pillar. Solidifying David Luiz last couple of games, I can see his influence growing. The goalkeeper influence shutting the back door is growing. I think what excites us about Tierney is we see he could be really influential. His style is quite dominant. We can see that he can influence. That's what we're excited about. He can dictate. He knows how he wants to play. He's confident. And he if he gets up to the speed of the Premier League, he's going to influence us. And I feel we've lost some influential players stylistically. And and I think it's affecting how we're looking at the game. So we have Sabayas. He's a tight-touch player, but he's not massively influential. Mm. We have Shaka, who's influential in a negative way, not in a positive way. You know, we have Willock, trier, youngster, on his way up. Saka, trier, youngster, on his way up. Martinelli, youngster, on his way up. There isn't the influence there that we were used to. And that's what we're all begging for with these four players to come back in. We're hoping their style is going to influence this group and then we can develop a style from within it. And I think that's what I'm seeing right now. And if you add another thing into the mix, I do feel Premiership Saturdays are becoming almost like World Cup quarterfinals. The pressure of these games is influencing the team's confidence in a negative way. It's quite interesting that the other cup games, 
they feel nice. They feel nice to watch. You know why? The pressure of outcome of the Premier League and finishing the top four isn't there. Just the say Europa it. League. You want to stay in the Europa League, Clive. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but the Europa League and the and the League Cup, it's not only the players that we're seeing, because some of them are quite similar, right? Some of them are quite similar to the first team. We just mix and match. But it's the whole aura about the occasion is different. It feels more relaxed. It feels different. The players look more relaxed. They look more comfortable in those arenas. And this is why I always go on about you know, I know I'm I know I'm being idealistic, but I talk about serenity around the club. I think it's important to create an environment where these players feel relaxed on every occasion and not just on League Cup and Europa League occasions where we feel it doesn't matter as much because we are so keyed up as fans to reach the Champions League. Everything that goes wrong on those league games is like the end of the world. It's like it's gotta happen, it's gotta happen now. What we're really doing is imparting our own stress about how we feel about how big a premiership game is onto the team, onto the environment. And I feel the whole thing is becoming a negative. And when I look at the players, who has got the influential personality to lift us out of this? And I don't see many. I read out, I saw at the weekend a Bamiyang look quite down with two 18-year-olds next to him, missing his mate Lacazette. Missing his mate to share the influence, to share the pressure. Strikers I like really that need to be that. brought into a game, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, he, I don't think he exactly. can do it himself. Oh, no, he can't. It's not a blame. You don't Pepe want him to, right? You don't want him running uh, deep into the you know, midfield. No, but, like that. but he's helping out because he can see the weakness. He's yeah, running exactly, backs, exactly making right. tackles. And Pepe, the player that we're hoping to be his partner, I think he passed to him once in this game. Tobias passed to him twice. So what's, how, how, how can he have a good game? They're the two players that we're expecting to connect with him. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So we're lacking a bit of personality and influence, and I think that's what we're hoping for with the the big four coming back in. Whenever they do come back in, we're hoping they bring that to the group. And look, let's be honest. Sometimes in football, you need something to break your way, and by breaking your way, it can unlock something. Pepe, Pepe was fouled in the box. That's a penalty. I mean, that is a penalty. And if we get it, and maybe Pepe takes it and slots it away. His second goal of the season, we go 2-0 up. The game changes. I mean, maybe that's the thing that unlocks us and has us playing with some freedom. But again, I, I'm not sure that it's mentality. You know, there's a part of me that was thinking, Emery doesn't want us to attack. But he's saying very clearly, he wants us to control games with possession and attack more. He's saying it. So I look and I say, why aren't we doing it? And I really think the middle of the pitch is the problem. I look at the double pivot with a 10 in midweek and the way it worked. And I look at this flat three with those midfielders splitting wide, Shaka on an island. Look at Shaka's pass map. If you go on the Discord uh, and, and look at the, the passing networks and the, and the maps that, that Giant Gunner posted, Shaka's passes were all lateral. He had no one to pass to vertically. No one. It was wide to Ganduzi or wide to Kolasinac, who was planted on the halfway line, and there's no verticality. There is no one to give that ball to in the center of the pitch to turn and slide it into Aubameyang or get it into the fullbacks, cutting into the channels. The fullbacks are, you know, Saka and Pepe can both take the ball, get the ball two feet and run with it. But they both have the ability to run onto it, and neither of them are getting the opportunity to do that because there's no one to create that kind of pass. So to me, I am starting to flip from thinking that Emery doesn't want to play attacking football to thinking that Emery... 
needs to tweak that midfield system and the spacing and distances of players like you said, Clive. You know, I look around the pitch. There's one player with the ball at his feet and often there is no player within three yards of him or there's one, but there isn't that triangle. You can't play their way around pressure and the ball goes laterally or goes back. So I think the system is going to make a difference. Maybe having those fullbacks will lead to him feeling more confident pushing them up. I mean, that's just something we're going to have to find out. But I think unlocking the midfield is a big part of it. Paul, I want to start to wrap up and I I want to get your take on the philosophical argument here. So, you know, I have people in my mentions that accuse me of moaning on Twitter. Heaven forbid. Um, and, And yeah, okay, I do. I didn't like the game. I didn't like the game. I watched Arsenal and it sucked. But we won and that's good. And there's this perception that like, if you win, you must be happy. End of story, only thing. Am I happy we won? Yes. So, I mean... I would I would flip it on its head. The same people that say, if it's a win, you can only respond to it happily. I would say, well, then by that measure, if it's a loss, you can only respond to it angrily. But that's not what's happening. So to me, it just seems like the rules are never never be critical, never never be disappointed. And, and my attitude, Paul, is I can look at this game, be thrilled that we won, laugh at United, laugh at Spurs, have a Fruity pod on Tuesday because of it, thank God, but also very fairly walk away from this game being like, well, that sucked, and now it's two weeks without Arsenal, and I got to live with that in my mind. I mean, are you allowed to want exciting football that thrills you and and have criticisms of a game like this, or, or is that asking too much? Well, I mean, we all come to football to fix some problem in our lives, right? So, so, <clears throat> so many we, problems, yes. Yeah, so we, and a game like that didn't fix many problems for most people, apart from those people who needed three points and a win. So I guess, I guess, I mean, to be fair, it was a darn performance that what you can say is we were very good not to completely tear into the team for, because... Any other result. Uh, That's a yeah, great there. point. If this had ended 1-1, if Callum Wilson rounds the keeper and instead of trying to slot it across slots at home and the performance was exactly the same but the outcome was 1-1, you think that this would have been met with, with the same amount of circumspection? Yeah. So, uh, no, I don't. Right. So, um, to those who say, well, why aren't you happy about the three points? Well, we balance that against uh, how frustrating this is this performance not in this game, but in this pattern of games? And where is it going to take us? I mean, you you do. While Tim talks about uh, the meditative process and and not not looking too far into the future, there's this whole Buddhist thing about living in the moment, and that's what it's about. Which is uh, when you look at the future, that's where anxiety comes from and worry comes from. And you did ask about philosophy here. Um, that's great if if you have no control and no say in it. So there are those fans whose philosophy is, I'm powerless, I have no say in it, I'm just going to take what it is and make the most of it because that's how they cope with stress. And then there are other people who cope with the stresses in their lives by feeling they have some role in it. Um, and it's very frustrating for fans because they feel they have some role. We start talking about the, uh, you know, the, the window for buying players or the formations, etc. But we have no impact on it. The only little bit of impact you have is if they can hear you through your TV or if your shout in the stadium is significantly different to, different to what the crowd is shouting. So it's this incredibly frustrating process fans go through when things aren't, aren't going well. And for most teams, they aren't going well most of the time. 
here, we get a win, but we know there's trouble brewing here, that we won't be able to sustain this over a season and that things need to change. And, you know, depending on how big your fingers are while you're crossing them here, we're crossing our fingers that when the interlull comes along here, when we, when we get Tierney back, when we get Bellerin in, that something will, maybe not magically, but substantially change. Uh, I do think, to Clive's point, that Tierney's style of play, if he can bring what he's supposed to bring, what he brought in the uh, standard Liège game, is one of those guys who will bring a personality onto the pitch. He, For a young guy, is a very big personality, and he may be one of those those leaders um, in terms of how we impress ourselves on the pitch that we're looking for. Um, because I fully agree that we don't have those players. You know, you put Vieira on a pitch, you put Henri on a pitch, you put Bergkamp on a pitch. A team starts to have a personality and style um, from what those players impart on the pitch. Mm. Um, Ozil's one of those players when he has touches, but he's he's had a lot of games where he's actually been a low-touch count kind of guy. Uh, Sabalos was actually pretty busy in this game, but guess who had the most touches in this game? Just by some large measure, and that was Callum Changer, Chambers. Yeah. Um, at, which is great, great for Callum, but probably tells you something about just how wonky this game was because he was not the he he did very well, but he was not the he's never going to be the cutting edge on the attacking end of this game. So when we're that dominant on that side, yet Sabalas is on the other side, this was all just wonky. It didn't feel right. It didn't look right. We had a good first half in in terms of taking the initiative and pressing, and then we just stepped off in the second half. And we hung on for dear life. So I think you have a right to be Yeah. And I mean, you could say, look, we desperately need a goal scorer back. You know, we need Lacazette. We need someone other than Aubameyang who can score goals. And thankfully, it was Louise in this game. I would say the Lacazette miss is a big one because we need someone who can occupy the ball in that center space in the final third. But, like, we, we need to just create more chances, plain and simple. And, Tim, as we finish up here, like, you know, look, it's great that we have 15 points. And that we're third in the table, a point behind City. We're also one, you know, what is it? Three points above West Ham, right? We're one point above Crystal Palace. The The table at this point in the season is kind of not the point, right? I, I think, mm. you know, at the end of the season, if you're playing terrible football and you're one point up in first place, you don't give a shit, right? But if you're playing mm. pretty bad football eight games in, you know, I mean, we're, we're one point off second. I guess, what's the statistic? I think we're the same amount of points off first as we are off the relegation zone, right? So it's <laughs> it's kind of a clusterfuck right now. So for you, um, do, does that positioning in the table matter to you right now? I mean, do you care about where we sit or do you care more about the, the sort of process of getting there? I, I, I'd say the latter. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, it's nice because that's largely where we want to be um, at the end of the season if we're realistic enough to acknowledge that we won't finish first and probably not second either. Um, but at this stage, it's it's not huge for the reasons you mentioned. There haven't been enough fixtures yet. The table hasn't really sorted itself out. There's a lot of compression and congestion in there. I, I don't think it really starts to take on, um, you know, really... Uh, I, I don't even really look at it until Christmas, to be honest. I, I think the the only reason we're looking at it now is because there's an international break and it's like a nat- it's like a natural bookmark in the season that we go. So where are we? 
like because before this game i couldn't have told you where we were in the in the table like i knew we weren't bottom or anything but i and i knew we weren't top but um yeah i, I couldn't have told you if we were eighth sixth tenth whatever um so yeah yeah we we, we look at it quite naturally now because we've come to kind of a natural pause but um you know i'd, I'd rather be there than not but yeah i i think at this stage you know i, I think this maybe slightly repeating something that James and Andrew were talking about in the Ask Cast Extra. You know, this, this is the stage of the season where there's a lot of football to play. So you look for performances. Whereas when you get to March, April, um, you know, I, I remember some dodgy 1-0 wins at Highbury when we were winning leagues and stuff like that. I remember a couple of games against the likes of Derby, um, you know, the, where we just squeezed out a 1-0 and it was April and no one cared that it wasn't great. Um but at this stage of the season, there's just so much football to play um, and there's there's so much to do that it is kind of more the performance. Um, nevertheless, I suppose that what that shows you is that we're, I mean, not just in with an excellent shot at the top four. We were given at least a partially open goal at it last season and we blew it. We, we've got an even better run up to it this year. And, and I really think as a club, we are in, better shape than Manchester United than Chelsea than Tottenham um you know I think we didn't sort all of our issues in the summer but we sorted a lot more than I thought we would we got a lot more work done than I thought we would and I I really like the kind of um I guess the executive direction of the club so far um I'm I'm quite enthused by what some of the guys did behind the scenes and I I just I look at this squad and it's not perfect and it's and it's still quite unbalanced and there are issues but I think it's so much better than it was last year you know we're talking about how much of a difference would the likes of Mkhitaryan and Awobi have made I'll be honest I don't think that have made any difference at all um mm. compared compared to what we've got I think what we've got out of the likes of um, Saka and and Martinelli and Nelson, as and don't get me wrong, a lot of that's been in the cups, but just far better because you know the the cups were awful last year. <laughs> you know the, those early rounds of the Carabao Cup were dreadful last year. The Europa League group stage was dreadful. At least we've made that exciting. Um, so yeah, I. I I think we're in a better position than I thought we were going to be in in June, and. Really, I, I, I just think I think there's a lot of pressure on the manager and I've come round to the idea that even if he gets the top four, that that might not even be enough to save his job um, in the kind of in the medium term. I think the way we do it might be a factor. Um, and I think we've got to see a bit more because if we sneak in, say, like, I don't know, on goal difference on the final day or something, I mean, we'd all take that. Obviously, I'd be delighted with that. But at the same time, you'd probably come away and think, you know, th these teams like Chelsea, Chelsea's transfer ban isn't going to last forever. You know, Tottenham will change things up. United, you know, they've they've got all the money in the world. Like these situations that those teams in are in and, you know, one or two of them might last for a bit, but they're not all going to last forever. This is, you know, it's not quite the Leicester season again, but yeah. in terms of the top four, it kind of is. And mm. so I, I do think that there's pressure on Emery anyway, not just to get in the top four, but to show that he can build on that. Yeah, and by the way, I think the Leicester season is a relevant one to mention because I remember when the arson wars were raging, the people that were still behind arson 
pointed to the Leicester season and said, how can you want him out? He just finished second. It's our best finish since the Invincible season. But clearly, there was another argument, which was it was a massive failure. We were into the last part of the year competing with only Leicester for the title. We had beaten them at ours, and we blew it. And that is an absolutely, perfectly reasonable conclusion. And the people that said, well, but we finished second, were sort of doing that out of context, right? And I think that some of where we are now, if we were playing the football we were playing right now, and Spurs, Chelsea, and United were all on fire, and we were sitting sixth, I don't think anybody would be saying everything's fine. I think the fact that Spurs are a dumpster fire and United are even worse and Chelsea got off to a slow start, although admittedly have started to pick it up, has allowed us to be in third position at this point, and that makes us feel pretty decent about things. And that's not to say we shouldn't feel decent. It's just to say that we're using the table to measure how you're doing is an inherently extrinsic evaluator, which is fine at the end of the season. But in the middle of the season, it's not very useful to tell you how you're playing. So, you know, Clive, I, I think it is fair to say I have worries about how we're playing. I'm thrilled that we won. I'm thrilled with our position right now, that it has to improve, that we can see some reasons why it might improve, right? Lacazette coming back, Tierney coming back, Bellerin coming back, and that hopefully all those things will result in that. Um, you know, and, and that's great. So so let me ask you just a lighthearted question real quickly. Tim tweeted something that I thought was kind of funny. He said, right now I'm enjoying Spurs play more than I'm enjoying Arsenal. How much, how much, you could take this as a serious question or a silly question. How much is the fact that United and Spurs are the best entertainment on television right now as they melt down? Best entertainment, you know, wherever you watch it, as they melt down on social media. I mean, uh, who was it? Alan Shearer, literally on the BBC, said United are fucked, which is hilarious. If you haven't seen that clip, catch it. Um, how much... How much do you think that's contributing to the fact that that some of the angst and some of the infighting, not all of it, it'll never go away, and some of the the you know the sort of internecine warfare, internecine? How do you say it? Internecine. 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 Inter. Schadenfreude. How much? How much of the this that stuff do you think is being eased by the fact that we're just sort of watching an epic meltdown from some of our rivals? Yeah, the ones that are melting down, I, I worry about them bouncing back. The ones that are on top, top form, I think they won't sustain that. Leicester are the darlings at the moment. Won't be sustained, mate. One injury up front and they're done. They've got no depth there. Um, Manchester United will turn into you Manchester United. You are underestimating the power of Vardy's PEDs, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Manchester United are Manchester United. Eventually they'll wake up. It won't be in time. They're missing their Lacazette in Martial. And since he's gone out, they're falling apart. We've lost our Lacazette. We've managed to accumulate points in the best part. So that's a good sign. Spurs' situation has been in the post for a couple of years because they didn't they didn't pay their players appropriately when they should have done. And Harry Kane playing that Champions League final and the other bits we know about has split the dressing room entirely. And so people are now thinking about their careers and their final free transfer at the age of 30 to miss out, to, to, to recollect the money that they missed out for the last couple of years while they were enticed by the opening of the stadium. The stadium opened a year late. Stadium's now open. They're not that impressed anymore. They want to move on and look after their families. So that's them done. Chelsea are the darlings at the moment, as, as, as I heard earlier on today, but also I know myself. Basically, their, their lone players 
have come back in and they're now all in the England team. So Chelsea will now be the new Spurs. They'll have half the England team and everybody will love them, even though they've let so many young players' careers be ruined because they haven't given them the chance appropriately or loaned them and sold them. But now all of a sudden they're the darlings of the country and have all the best youth players. I'm not buying that. It will last up to a point, the feel-good factor, but it will catch them up. And there's Arsenal. So many things wrong. So many things wrong. Yet we're still there hanging around like a bad smell. When we do get it right, we have so much room for growth. So much room for growth. We are talking about 18 to 20-year-olds. They will be different in a month's time, let alone anything else. They will be better every minute that they have. And when we get our more influential players back in alongside them, I think there's room for growth and no room for excuses. I feel we lack something in centre midfield to make us a little bit more athletic. Um, whether we'll do that in January, I'm not so sure. But that will be the one thing I would potentially look to do, just so we can go with the running teams that want to run us. Apart from that, I'm willing to um, to go on the journey with this group. I mean, I'm willing to go on the journey with the group. <laughs> whether I'm willing to go on it with the manager, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I kind of, I don't know. I honestly feel. I will say this. I honestly feel we we focus on the manager in a way that we don't need to focus on him with that level. I think the club is directionally taking things away from the major. The major's role is far less than it used to be. Hence, I try not to talk about him. I talk about the team because everything around the major is subjective because we don't really know about the new control structure and what's really happening and who is driving things. And so, but I, what I can talk about is the team, how they're constructed, what they're doing. And people want to link that back to the major, that's up to them. But my feeling is the major's role is far more transient, yes. far more, and, and I don't worry about him I worry about Arthur Wenger going because I knew we had nothing else behind him nothing at all now we have a lot of things going on in the club if the manager goes so be it what's interested to me is I wonder what direction we'll take next and I, I find that really exciting because that may tell us mm. who, who we want to be yeah. and I think that, that's going to be so interesting because with the Cronkies in full ownership the game has changed and it'll be interesting to see what direction they want to go in. Yeah, and to be fair, I think the only reason for the excessive focus on the manager is, I think, to be fair to the fan base, there's a lot of confidence in the players, in the group that we've assembled, and there's sort of a belief among some people that they could be playing better. But let's see. Let's see what happens when the, when we get the whole group back. Uh, we're going to finish with a yes-no question. Paul, uh, Manchester United, will they go down? No. Tim? <laughs> there's, they'll go down, but their stats will stay up. Tim? <laughs> Um, yes, because that will make excellent content. Five. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember the last time they did go down, and it was yeah. funny then. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I think they're going down. I think they're going down. Um, okay, well, enough of that. Look, I, I hope you enjoyed this. I think it is, you know, it is a really big challenge to take a game that, like I said at the beginning of the pod, is it's kind of a nothing game. And there's a part of you that's just kind of like, well, maybe we should just say Arsenal won and skip this pod and do another one. But like, I think we teased it out long enough to 90 minutes. <laughs> so that's a testament to our verbosity. And I appreciate you that. Uh, appreciate that about all of you. Uh, so Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Uh, Tim's on Twitter. Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Shedden fruity. Shed, shed, shedden, shedden fruity. Shedden fruity. It's not Swedish. Shedden fruity. 
<laughs> we're doing one of those tomorrow for patrons. Uh, we've got the stats review up in Discord. We got lots going on, and of course, please, 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 because uh, we are just very fortunate when we get the attention of of the big wigs like uh, the Shmoo. So if you can go to the Shmoo dot com, the T H E S H. Uh, S-H-M-E-W, the shmoo, T-H-E-S-H-M-E-W, the shmoo.com. And uh, do you shmoo? Let's find out. Go there now. So, all right, we're going to say goodbye, but we will come back with a lot more pods. We'll have pods throughout the interlow to keep you busy um, or just, you know, take your mind off the fact that you're doing dishes or or exercising or whatever it is. So uh, who do we play next? Sheffield United? Yeah. Let's try this again. Yeah, Yeah, why not? We love you. Give us a five-star review. Talk to you after Arsenal 10. Sheffield Uh, Nelvick.